This episode is sponsored by Kokako Organic Coffee Roasters. Unhappy with the unavoidable carbon in their supply chain, Kokako decided in 2016 to become one of the first carbon-neutral coffee roasters in Aotearoa by offsetting their emissions with the Fair Climate Fund. Find a climate-neutral bag of beans for home at kokako.co.nz. How to Save the World. I'm waving in. I'm with Tim. Hello. Hey. I think this is a special episode, Tim, because it's all about you. They're all special episodes, aren't they? Yes. They're like kids. There's no favourite. No, They're just no. special in their own way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to be talking about how you are vegetarian and even vegan yes. these days and how I'm not. <laughs> We're going to battle. That's We're right. duke it out. Yeah. I used to be... At, at high school, I won the debating competition. Oh, yeah, formidable! I was quite, I was quite formidable. And I'm in my weakened state with oh. no meat in my blood. Oh, so yeah, true. Your your whole yeah, your 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 brain's just constantly in a meatless, foggy fatigue. You actually, when you came in, you said we. You didn't phrase it exactly like this, but you said we're going to have a debate. I'm going to push back against you, and I have a suspicion that we. Uh, I think we're going to agree on on probably the crux of what you're saying but um but the first thing is yeah i i'm i'm ve- i'm vegan i'm eating vegan it sounds like a question it yeah it is because high rising terminal well, yeah it is because like i don't know i always hear people call themselves a, a vegan there's not an identity that i want to um it's a it seems like a weird identity yeah. it's a diet it's just stuff yeah, I yeah, eat, yeah, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah yeah i haven't been doing it for that long either so it's just like I'm eating a vegan diet. Okay, I guess is what so you you're say. you're eating a vegan diet, but you're not actually officially in the vegan club. Well, I I guess the, by d- definition, I am. It's just like my entire life, you know. You get this idea about what vegans. Oh, are that's true. The, whole, the stereotypes. Absolutely, the stereotypes, and it's just like this very loaded term, which means a whole lot more than just the diet. But it's like you know, a whole philosophy and. Um, the stereotype is shoving it down other people's throats yeah, as well. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. guess doing a podcast episode on it isn't probably helping <laughs> break that stereotype. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so what I've done is I've done a little bit of research on kind of the um, the two reasons why I decided to go vegan. I, I can sort of talk to where I got there. But did you, yeah, did you want to throw any questions at me or anything like that or... Yeah, I'll see how I go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just pick off the I'm going to save that arsenal, yes. Sure, sure. Well, um, I guess the first bit is how I came to be vegan at all. So this, I, I think I might have already told this story on the yeah. podcast about how I went um, pescatarian when Trump got elected. Yeah, I love that. Because <laughs> I just felt like I had to do something. Um, on that day when it happened. One of my big missions has been trying to depoliticize, like decouple sustainability and uh, how you vote. But Really? Yeah, but you're just, you're linking it right back up. Well, hey, that's just me. That's just me personally. And I don't know, I think it's a tricky one. I've heard this term bandied around or this philosophy bandied around in a slightly different context. But, you know, it's it's hard to treat anything not politically, apolitically. Mm, Everything mm, is mm, political, mm. kind of. And I actually love, I totally love that story anyway. It's great. (laughs) It was just my inspiration for taking the plunge finally because I had been um, living with a lot of vegetarians, like Mm. in my old flat. I I know a lot of like creatives and people who work in in theatre and the arts and film and television, that sort of stuff, which seems to attract those kind of people. Mm. And my uh, my ex-girlfriend was vegetarian after reading that book 
um shoot do you know what it's called it's some really popular book it's like the the alan carr book for quitting smoking but for anim- well, no, eating animals no I I, uh if i had if this is the thing if i had a read it perhaps i'd maybe be vegetarian be yeah i haven't read that book but um but it, like four of my flatmates did and they all went vegetarian Whoa. it's all about this guy who um is going to have a kid. I think the kid's on the way or the kid's very young and he wants to look into farming practices because mm. he's kind of like, well, this is what my kid's going to eat. This is how I'm bringing them up. So I should probably know some background about how this gets, you know, on the plate. What country were they in? Oh, I couldn't tell. I should really look this up. Um, America, I'm going to assume. Yeah. And he it just, the first thing he came up against was such a barrier to figuring out, like no one would, answer any questions mm. about what was going on it's a sure sign yeah which is not good um i'm gonna see if i can look it up eating animals i think is the name of the book yeah by jonathan uh saffron foer i believe his name is and it's it's super popular it's got like fifty five and a half thousand ratings on um, wow. on uh amazon on goodreads anyway so I was surrounded by vegetarians for a long time. I was thinking about it for a while. Never did anything. Used to eat a whole lot of meat. Went pescatarian finally um, in 2016 at the end. And then did that for like two years. And then um, the thing that made me finally take the plunge, because I've been thinking and talking mm. about the veganism thing for a long time, was I read uh, two books back to back by a guy named... Um, Uval Noah Harari, who's mm. this Israeli dude who wrote sapiens and homo deus and i'm actually i'm reading the third one at the moment which is called i think 21 solutions for the 21st century mm-hmm. um and they were such good books they were amazing and they're about a whole bunch of stuff they're about like big ideas big concepts talks a lot about ai and yeah um that sort of stuff and what it means to be human the first book is like almost a history of homo sapiens mm. oh, that, yeah sapiens i've read that Amazing. i think i read it after a conversation you know i had oh true yeah i think so um and one of the things i'm pretty sure is in that book is how that ability for us to start eating cooked food particularly cooked meat yes. was actually a bit of a cognitive leap for us because we could then use more energy to think rather than process and digest the food Absolutely. I had forgotten all about that. You're right. That was what he calls um, the cognitive revolution, which yeah. was a huge part of it. Stone yeah. In yeah. our species, yeah. that we were. Um, Quite able... weird that that comes down to cooked meat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it's just we found a source of energy that was so dense yeah. that we didn't have to constantly exactly, forage yeah. and we could yeah. use our time and energy on other things. So it's pretty integral. It's, yeah. Well, it was to that particular stage of our development. Okay. (laughs) We're not there anymore. Yeah. It's kind of like, I would think it's analogous to um, how you, when you're a developing country, you go through different cycles of electricity generation, you know, you go through the coal phase and then you can get into renewables later on. Okay. Just because you started with something doesn't mean you have to stay with it the whole time. So um, I read that book, and the thing that really stuck with me in Sapiens, I think it was in Sapiens, was he talks about um, cows and uh, just them as an animal and as a species, and that they're actually 
like incredibly emotional creatures mm. and despite the fact that we've been breeding them specifically just for meat and animal products they're still um really intelligent because you would think you know after all the generations of agriculture that we've had we would have kind of bred them to be as dumb as mm. possible mm. so they don't fight back against us and they can just be this big stake that's sitting around waiting to be harvested um, but it, despite that selective breeding they've been through, they still, even now... Um, they've got their family that, structures. They do. And, they've yeah. got really complex social structures. They have, like, best friends. Um, they've got really strong uh, family bonds as well. Oh, best and friends. They Yeah, they do. Cows have best friends. I know that when they go to be milked, they're in, and they're, even if it's a huge herd, they're in a really specific order. Yeah. Like every day they go off, I guess, with their friends and yeah. Yeah. So is the crux, because this is interesting, is the crux of your argument going to essentially be around the humanity of it, not the ethics? It's twofold. It, the, the original thing that got me into it was water usage, which we'll talk more about in a moment. But the once I had like started sort of, you know, I was in it a bit more and you just by osmosis, I think, kind of absorb different um ethical reasons why you would be vegan you hear other people's points of view just little things mm, online mm. pop out at you um it very much increasingly became about animal rights and mm, just what we are doing mm, mm. um and yeah, i think so, anything around that yeah. i i don't feel like uh, there is much of an answer for in terms of anything i've got to give back because it's it's like a hard thing to argue i totally well, agree that, yeah yeah, yeah. The, the ethics of it are not <laughs> not great um but, if you're gonna if you're gonna kill a cow yeah. uh then to eat then there's you've got to sort of say well what's the difference between that and a dog yeah or, the, like that's know, very hard to ethically argue killing, that i think yeah. the killing isn't isn't um what i've personally got an issue with um myself i it's certainly like an ethical quandary to bring uh, a whole bunch of animals into existence just to kill them but it's more their sustained the treat, the treatment. Yeah. So, like, how we get dairy is by um, getting a cow pregnant and then taking away its young, mm. and then we harvest the milk, and they're mm. in the sort of perpetual mm. state of mm. expressing a thing mm. that's supposed to be for the mm. young. Mm. And there isn't, um, as far as I can tell, I'm a total noob on this. I am by no means an expert, so just I want to put that up front. But there doesn't seem to be a tremendous amount of research that's happened into um, looking at animals like bovine and pigs that we have had for um, all of you know agriculture by humans to basically just serve as a food product into them um, the socially yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, their psychological yeah. makeup or abilities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the the small amounts of research that have been conducted have shown that they are I think way smarter than we thought and a lot more emotional than we understood them to be. Yeah. And um, yeah, the, probably the biggest clue are these strong social bonds that they have. And uh, I, I think that Harari talks about this in the book as well, is the incredible amount of stress that the cows go through when their young are taken away. And I mean, you can imagine any mm-hmm. intelligent or semi-intelligent species, particularly mammals, if you take away their young that's going to really freak them out and and cows are no different and they've been able to measure that with things like the um cortisol um uh amounts that they produce when they're under certain conditions and when they get their young taken away so this is like all a very kind of new world for me but it's it's sort of one of those things with once you pull back the curtain a little bit Mm. and look at it it's a bit of a horror show and pigs are um insanely intelligent 
they reckon I've, I've heard somewhere I, d- I don't have the source mm-hmm. in front of me that pigs are smarter that some pigs are smarter than like dogs than a lot of dog well, breeds I, we have I heard that pigs are about as smart as a three year old yeah. and I said that to a woman once with a three year old oh she didn't take it well <laughs> but, the, but this is another thing that Harari talks about in his books he's like Humans have put themselves on this pedestal of being completely separate and apart and above yes. all other animal yeah. species. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we, we're apex predators. We're top of the food chain and we've um, gained all these abilities that other animals don't have. But from an ethical and moral point of view, does that mean we get to just mm. like dominate like mm. a pack of mm. assholes? Yeah, on top totally. Of, yeah. I mean, if you looked at it within a family structure and say, well, the parents are there to yeah. care for the children, yeah. that's their role. It's like exactly the same thing. It's like, does that give you permission to be a dickhead and use the kids for whatever you want to do? It's like, exactly. It's, to think of it around the other way is we are the custodians of this and to be there to care for these things. Yeah. And, there, and there's a lot of religions that talk about that because it, it, religion is sort of the you know oldest way that we had of structuring ourselves in societies Mm. so what is you know um sort of interpreted through a mystical lens is often just good things good rules on how to live yeah that's where it came from the enthusiasm yeah and (laughs) larry david (laughs) yeah and um (laughs) so like with hinduism and christianity we are totally seen as custodians of Mm. these animals and, and we're there to look after them and, it's and with re- a lot of indigenous, well, probably Absolutely. all indigenous cultures too. Yeah, yeah I would like say the, so. the respectfulness around to even taking leaves sometimes, and yeah. it's it's just you've got a process, and you're you're giving thanks, and you're being aware. Because we because in those constructs, particularly like first peoples, it, it, it's we're a part of the system. It's not like we're sitting above the system mm, and mm, using it mm. for ourselves. It's a very new thing. This way that we're doing things now. With, like with um, mass agriculture and having these insane mm. farming practices, th- we have not had the ability to do this before because we didn't have things like antibiotics, so we couldn't yeah. put a million chickens in Into, a tiny exactly. little warehouse. Yeah. I wonder, Tim, if we're on the same page because w- w- this it's for me it's really the industrialized farming practices that we have, and to to say that there's something really intrinsically wrong with eating meat or dairy or whatever uh, is like throwing the baby out with the bathwater because if we eat these things uh, respectfully then I guess it's like if we have that opportunity to um, give thanks make everything uh, the best choices we can in terms of what we're eating it's like then is it okay? Totally. I've got no... The only reason why I'm vegan is because I'm kind of, like, lazy. Can't see the options. Ah, yeah. Well, I yeah. just... I know that I need to put sort of blinders on myself, whereas if, if something's, like, wishy-washy, then I just won't do it. No, that's good. So you're not, like, going to get a little bow and arrow and go well, out and, you know, start killing your own exactly. wild there, there are, game. There are... Um, there's, that's definitely a movement at the moment of people who will eat meat, but they, you know, will eat the meat that they kill. Hunters who go out and, yeah. you know, they kill a deer and then they've, you've got venison for ages. Mm. And you, you know like what? I worth. Just yesterday I was thinking, well, this is timely coming off to talk about this, is I filled the deep freeze up with uh, home kill. Like I have literally stacked a year's worth what of meat. Cow? In, uh Yes. Yeah. But it was from a friend of mine who runs a really small little block up north near where we are and she has 
only three cows and she, they've had an amazing life. They're all organic. They've all, you know, just like everything that she, she in fact, she loves her cows so much that this is quite common I think I've, yeah. I've heard of other people that feel the same way that when it comes to slaughtering they are so upset that they either can't be there or they do it themselves and then they go off the meat and they can't eat it how and, do they do it do they shoot them um well I don't I, I don't know I think I think like- I think because I know for her she didn't do it herself she yeah. actually she actually couldn't handle being there right. uh, and it's like a professional home kill person that comes oh, okay. and, and does does the deed, but actually comes to the the farm. Yeah, well, I imagine you get really attached to your cows if you were mm. in, in that sort of small, um, yeah, doing it on that small scale. Mm. The the other thing that feeds into this is like this is obviously a very aspirational thing, but I think it's quite important to try and live in a way where if like pretty much everyone lived pretty much how you did, things would be better. Oh yes, know? I like that one. Um, there's probably a better wording. <laughs> That. I'm sure it's a whole philosophical <laughs> approach. It's not quite ready for the t-shirt, is it? Exactly. Yeah. And I think the small farming practices are, are so good. Um, it's such a cool idea, but it is a little bit of a hard thing to be repeatable on a, a massive scale. Oh, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, yeah, come back and, and hit me with that. Because it seems like it's very intensive for like things like land usage. And mm, mm, is is mm. it not? So I think that... There's sort of two schools schools of thought. You've got uh, most a lot of farmers in New Zealand, so globally, uh, farming in a particular way where essentially they're trying to. It's about intensity and trying to get uh, as much as you can off the land in terms of how many animals you can pack in, how much turnover you can have, um, and there's a whole bunch of things that can be problematic in the long term, like can be really great short-term management and might be great in terms of the actual piece of land that you're managing but you've got issues with what's happening with the system flows out like whether it's nitrogen leaching into waterways or um, lack of carbon sequester could be really a lot of um, Methane and other cases. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of methane and stuff. So you've you've got kind of got a school of thought that's saying let's see if we can look after the environment as well as continue with this intensity yeah. uh, and they're mostly I think from what I can pick up really looking for some bells and whistles with some new scientific technology yeah, yeah. and so in that space we're saying oh there's a gap there's you know we're not there yet New Zealand's pretty good we for that crack right this and, like we're, we're pretty good at researching and developing new techniques yep we're to, good with that yep uh, but the thing that is also sitting right there alongside that is regenerative agri- agriculture, which is uh, people that are farming from like a, it's like a totally different uh, origin, really. It's like it's been in parallel, but these these two groups have been because you, you've got your regenerative guys that are sitting there. I always can't say that word very well. Regenerative. Regenerative. And the more I'm saying it, the worse it gets. But they're they're actually saying, well, actually, we do have farming practices where we can uh, tick all of the boxes for the animals, uh, their welfare, and, and for the environment as well, whether it's water quality or. Uh... So it turns out that soil is one of our most crucial ways of sequestering carbon. 
because the ocean is getting so full now that it's it's almost can't sink anymore and uh, you've got trees obviously a really great carbon sink but there's this fungi in soil that if, if the soil's managed well it's it's actually probably one of our most significant like globally most significant ways to sequester carbon Wow. yeah and so there are certain farming practices where essentially you are just loading the soil up with um, biological life uh, so using a synthetic fertilizer and the pesticides that might often be associated with a monocrop and of course mm grass is a monocrop mm. um, that can be quite counterproductive it does yeah especially like anti fungicides and yeah, things yeah. yeah yeah but um so there are ways to farm that actually tick all of the boxes uh, it's and and there are a way for us as consumers to access those products uh, the scale isn't there but I don't think that's anything that's due to the way that they're farming. I think that's more just to do with uh, consumers not having quite responded to meet the demand of those products. Well, but what what you actually mean when you say that consumers not responding is it's fucking expensive. That's what I mean. Yeah, and like, and people don't want to pay that. So, oh, okay. Do you? Uh, do you? Rem- no, actually, I can't even remember this myself. My parents, when they were growing up, uh, to have chicken. I don't know if this is globally true, certainly true in New Zealand, was a huge treat. It was like Christmas Day, you'd have a chicken. And now, of course, it's considered really cheap. Yeah. That overnight was because of uh, when our laws changed and we allowed the factory hem farming. Right. And so it's like we just have these expectations that a, a chicken should be something that we can eat once or twice a week if we want. Yeah. Uh, whereas I can't afford that much chicken because I will be buying organic or yeah. local locally grown through a farmer's market so you know like all so it's some um, part of it's your headspace it's like yes it's more expensive but uh, I mean I guess if we can really connect with what the impact is of us having this cheap meat yeah and just Start like you were saying, you know, you read books, you went through this whole process. Well, that book isn't even about this. It's about, it's about <laughs> others. That was just like there's a section in the book about about that, and actually Harari turned vegan as a result of sort of him researching wow. agricultural practices mm. himself. Mm. He was like, "This is mental. Mm. I cannot abide this." It's just one small component of the book, but just from kind of like a logical ethical mm. point of view it exactly. really resonated it's like with me. catching your brain up with yeah. some of these things that we're just automatically doing and i think it's a heart thing like actually i meant to say that conversation you and i had a few weeks ago about being vegetarian it was probably the most significant conversation i'd had because you connected me with the heart stuff around right. it which is like wow that's interesting after years of these similar conversations i was like you know, something just sort of dropped in. Well, I'm going, yeah, that's it's true. It's and it's it's yeah. But it's, I guess if we can, it's cumulative as it well. Is, isn't it, it is. It's, I, yeah, yeah. It, I it sort of it was floating around in my head both the going vegetarian thing because I was thinking about that while eating so much meat for ages, and mm. then I went pescatarian for a mm. couple of years, and I had thought about going vegan for ages. Yeah, and it's at some point it's just sort of like there'll it be is, one it's little so, thing. It's so it's so cumulative, over. isn't it? But yeah. yeah. The other thing which you're sort of talking about um, a little bit is the environmental impact and specifically the thing that that 
the main reason I went vegan first off is water usage. And like, I, I, again, I'm no expert in this sort of stuff, but I printed off some things. So you might hear me flicking papers around and reading, but basically there's, um, we're going to, a lot of places are running out of drinkable water Mm. and the planet's not running out of water, but we are running out of drinkable water in a lot of very populated places. Um, About a year ago, there was a lot of, news that you might have seen about Cape Town in South Africa literally about to run out of water. And they had to take extreme measures to stave off that kind of water apocalypse from happening. And I haven't caught up with it recently, but I know they've managed to sort of get their water usage down to a point where um, they are okay through at least the middle of this year. But I don't know if they've Mm. figured out a long-term solution to it. And they, I mean, they're talking about doing things like importing icebergs and melting them down there and stuff. Really wacky, strange um, things that really don't, you know, instinctively make any sense because that is how horrific the situation is there. They must have some really creative consultants. Can you imagine them brainstorming that? Well, here's the thing. It's really hard to get fresh water if it's not just there. Um, there is a process, and I'm probably going to describe the pronunciation, but de- desalinization. Oh, yeah, Desa- desalinization. Um, which is basically just getting uh, water from usually the ocean and removing all the minerals, usually salt, mm-hmm. so that you can make it drinkable. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a, it's a scientific process that's possible, and we do it now on a small scale. And does it use heaps of uh, fossil fuel? Uh, well, if the, the electricity... It, it, I mean, it uses a lot of energy. I'll put yeah, it that way. Yeah. It uses a tremendous amount of energy. And there's um, there's a physical limitation to the technology. So, like, I was reading about this today, that, that you actually can't get the process any more efficient than a certain amount, and it still will use, mm. I think it's a, oh, God, uh, I'll try and find the sheet, but it's like one kilowatt per Hundred liters or something. For I'll, the I'll try and listeners. look up the thing. But, I'm so unticky that anything like that just goes. Well, I love no, this stuff. Just... Like I love technology in that. So they the way that they do it is basically filtration. There's a process called um, seawater reverse osmosis, where they get seawater and they just force it through a, um, different stages of membranes, which are just filters. So it'll go through a, an initial filter where it takes out really big stuff, like actual visible sort of objects and stuff that's in you the water. You love this stuff, eh? Yeah. This is a lot of detail. <laughs> You're like, this is how we well, desalinate water. But the thing is, is like, it's actually a really simple concept, if I've understood it correctly. It's just forcing water through different yeah. filters. It's yes. like literally you so can think about it of water going through like a sheet of paper. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, yeah, you, you take out the big stuff and then you increasingly reduce the size mm-hmm. of the pores in the filter or the membrane. So it gets down to the point where they're using um, really like advanced scientific materials that have things in the nanometers mm. of uh, sized holes so that that can take out things like salt, which is obviously microscopic, but leave the water to, to pass through. They could have just distilled it. Uh, distilled it like evaporation yeah like boil it but again it takes a tremendous amount of energy yeah. to do that like, I suppose they've thought we, of it well yeah we'd be doing it we would be, we would be doing it and there's some interesting um, research that's going on in material science uh, graphene nanopores so graphene is this um, I would almost class it as like a theoretical, a theoretic technology because it's it's sort of been talked about for the last 
20 years as being this cure-all for so many different things. They talk about graphene a lot with um, computing. Um, there's a... <laughs> just take a quick division. So it's this material that apparently, if we figure out how to use it properly... Is this going to link back to... It's going to solve everything. Farming? Yeah, well, it's, it's it's about the water usage thing. Yes. So that, So apparently, if we figure out how to use graphene correctly, it would, like open the floodgates pun intended um for being able to filter seawater into making it drinkable um there's another method titanium dioxide as well but all of these are like being researched at the moment no one has any idea how to scale them up and Mm. using the ways that we do know how to do it like evaporation is incredibly Mm. energy intensive and even using the filter process the reason why that is so energy intensive is you need to use a ton of pressure to force the water to go through that that porous membrane so that it can yeah, it let the going. water go yeah. through but keep the bad stuff out. So it's it's like it's obviously it's been investigated. Um, it would be like the first thing that scientists and stuff look for for an answer, and it's it's basically not a solution. So I've just so, found a bit about the if anyone cares, if any scientists listening, uh, one kilowatt hour to desalinate one cubic meter of seawater. Thank you for that. I, I don't have a frame of reference for those scales, but fact factor. <laughs> it costs four dollars for a unit. Who even cares what the unit is? It costs four bucks to get it from um, river water from an aqueduct, and it costs eleven hundred dollars to get it um, desalinated uh, from. Oh, the that's biggest, a good fact. The biggest yep, scale I one we've that. ever used, which was in Santa Barbara, used in the eighties. So. That's a factor of what's eleven hundred divided by four, uh, five, about three hundred. Yeah, it's huge. A factor yeah, of one yeah. to three hundred. I think of that getting was the fact water. we were looking for. Actually, that's, okay. that's a good one. Long path. Sorry. Yeah. The fact is, it takes about three hundred times the amount of money to draw drinkable water from desalinization from seawater. Okay, so let's let's bring this back to you being a vegan. Yeah. So it takes a lot of water to make animal products and not plants. That's it. (laughs) Don't need to take you on a big path for that one. Yeah. Does your business need help navigating sustainability, the circular economy and systems thinking? Contact GoWell Consulting and one of their experts will guide your organisation to a sustainable future. Their consultants provide a bespoke service by working intimately with your business. They make sustainability, the circular economy and systems thinking accessible and easy to implement, allowing you to make well-informed decisions and capitalise on business opportunities. Future-proof your business and future-proof our planet. Go to gowellconsulting.co.nz to find an expert that will help your business navigate the journey. That's I've right. got these tables that um, probably listeners of this show may have seen before about the different uh, amounts of water that it takes to get different foods, which I think we've even maybe talked about. In a yes, I've seen those before. I don't know if we've talked about it here before, but uh, yeah, the one, basically takes a heck of a lot of water to get. And because they do it per nutrient, don't they? Because you can say by by weight or whatever that meat is so much more dense, but then they do it by weight and you realise, sorry, by um, nutrients and you realise that it's still... I haven't, looked at, I haven't seen those ones, the nutrient ones. I've just got, I've got one in front of me, which is just a kg of stuff and how much water okay. it takes. Yep. And this is from the Institution of Mechanical Engineers, if anyone cares. This is the one that usually gets put in articles. Um, from a big study they did in 2012. And so, for example, um, to get an egg, it is, they reckon, 196 litres of water, 
um, to get a kg of beef, it's 15,400. Wow. 15. Amazing. Um, chocolate's even more, though. That's the terrible more thing. More than top, beef? Yeah, the top, really? of the, the top of the list is chocolate, and then it goes beef. So chocolate is above 17,000 litres to get one kg of chocolate, and beef is over 15,000. Um, sheep? Over 10,000 litres to get a kg. Pork is about 6,000 to get one kg. Um, and then you look at things uh, like, so apples, a kg of apples, 800 litres of water. Mm. Um, so, and, and cabbage, which would be, you know, sort of a a, a staple-ish or that kind of stuff for people like me, for dirty vegans. A hundred and thirty five. I'm just imagining big plates of cabbage, yeah. boiled cabbage. Sorry, two hundred and thirty five. So yeah, two two hundred and thirty five for a kg of cabbage versus, you know, fifteen and a half thousand mm, litres for a kg mm, of beef. Mm. And it makes sense, right? Because you are getting the crops and feeding it to something else. Whereas vegans are basically yeah, just, just eating just the animal food. Crop, yeah, taking yeah. out that whole next um layer to it. And I, I I'm not. I don't want to like preach too hard or anything because I certainly I'm not. I'm very new to veganism, veganism, and I'm not here to like necessarily convince other people to do it. But I'm just saying for me, this is the reason why I did it because we've kind of screwed up the planet hugely, and we're running out of drinking water mm. um, for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But agriculture um, is is a big part of that, and a solution to it is um, trying to eat less meat and animal products. And there's, I know I can feel the people typing already online. There's a, there's a lot of um, people who go, uh, things like avocado, which is very popular among mm-hmm. vegans, uses a, a huge amount of water and mm-hmm. almonds as mm-hmm. well, which mm-hmm. is another big I good. I quinoa the other day yeah. as well. So, and even rice isn't fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Rice is on this list. And it is um, two and a half thousand litres for a kg. So I think if we, uh, you know, I'm always wanting to bring it back to, because at the moment we're unravelling into some sort of crazy reality where just everything's a problem. If we bring it back to what can we do? How do we we really make this really simple? And I think you just said before, it's about eating less. Yeah. um, Meat. Full stop. Uh, not yeah. Oh, you mean meat. It all? No, no, sorry, I did mean meat. <laughs> Put down the fork, fatty. <laughs> Save the planet. Yeah, maybe that's true. But anyway, um, I think yeah, it's about eating less of that meat or or these products that are an issue. I think that is just something that we can do. That's not a nice, quick, easy one. It actually doesn't take too much. Yeah. It's it's asking ourselves. Do you know that when I first left home and went flatting? It was me and my mate that was sort of running this flat and we had a budget of like $20, I think it was, for the week for food each. And we put that, I know, we put that into a pot of money and so I think we had about 100 bucks and we'd go to Pack and Save and we would every we'd buy meat. we have like, you know, seven lots of meat for, the, for us to, uh, to get through the week. And I had this one, we were all like 19, 20 and... I'd just grown up meeting three veg. Yeah. And I had this one flatmate who, after sort of a few months, very tentatively approached me and my other flatmate that was sort of like, you know, the ones, the boss, I guess. Uh, and I said, oh, do you think, do you think we, we have to have meat every night? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, do you think that maybe we could just 
some nights where we have other things like maybe we don't have to have it every night and I was just like no if you want to eat some weird stuff you can do that on your own ticket but yeah you know in this flat this is how it runs can relate like, really there was absolutely yeah. That's, yeah. that's totally how I ate yeah yeah up yeah. until like very recently yeah I so meat I, for every meal, not yeah. even just every dinner, but like, you know. Oh, really? Every- yeah, bacon for breakfast and a huge fan of it. I love chicken so much. Yeah, and, right, right. Yeah. yeah it's so certainly it's- not like a taste thing where you get some vegetarians being so like, oh, I don't really like the taste of meat. Fuck that. It's delicious. <laughs> that's why I can't wait for um, lab-based meat, cell meat. Yeah. Like, that's going to be a game changer. It's a weird thing. It's a great thing. I think it's, it's the way of the science. future. Yeah, it's science, science doing a good job. But yeah, those things like doing a meat-free Friday. I think it's I think a great it's thing. Around, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, if you want a really simple solution, that's definitely one. Um, just to, it, on the kind of like vegan experience as well, if people want a little window into that, because the, probably the main question I get asked when people find out I'm eating vegan is like, do you feel any different? Oh, and yeah. The answer is, nah, <laughs> not really. <laughs> like the first two weeks of doing it, I was um, uh, a, a little bit possibly more tired but like i don't know i work at night i go and do comedy gigs and stuff so it's kind of hard to tease hard out to what's and me that drinking can and be toxins getting out of your body too maybe, oh, i mind you not if you were drinking I suppose, but, oh yeah no yeah. you know no point in giving up all the cool stuff no absolutely uh, and that's the other thing people ask about beer a lot mm. about booze so there's i think there used to be um animal products used a lot more in beer production um and it's not really the case anymore. So even the big breweries don't use it. And it, like, there's pretty much no craft breweries that I've experienced that have animal products in their beers. And of uh, course, if you're vegan, you're into your craft beer. Yeah, well, it goes with territory, yeah, doesn't it? They get the beard, <laughs> get the craft beers. Um, there's a great website called, oh, shoot. But uh, Baravor, Barvor, Baravor, something like that. If you Google, like, vegan alcohol, it'll be the first thing that comes oh. up. And it's got, like, every label of every booze, liquor, oh, beer, wow. wine, and it'll tell you if it's vegan or not. A lot of wine uses animal products. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. But I was talking to someone who makes wine recently, and they said the amount of animal products they use to make wine is, like, tiny. So if you're not being a militant vegan, it's totally all good. I guess, um, yeah. Are we promoting the militism? We're not promoting anything. I'm just putting... I'm just... that This has been my journey thus far. I don't even know if I'll, like, stay vegan. Or yeah. Free, but who knows? It's an experiment. But it's um, it's going fine. I and like... It's, it's like... this. Is, for me, I am a lazy eater. Like, I love fast food. And luckily, there's more vegan fast food places popping up, like Lord of the Fries. Quick shout out. They're, like, chicken thing. Great Tastes name. Like KFC. It's so good. Um... It's it's not super hard anymore. It used to be. You know, it's just occurred to me that being you, being vegan, is similar to me doing that rubbish-free year. Yeah. It was just what I needed to True. do. And it's like it just made everything so simple. And yes. it was it was like a, a real conservative push in the right direction. And it really, really helped like form new habits and think through all these things that I hadn't been thinking about. Because sometimes if you just put a big parameter on yourself, yeah, you you could just be really clear about something. So instead of me going like, you know, I'll I'll try to eat more locally sourced food and I'll Mm. I'll try to eat more organic and stuff. It's like, I know that I won't be very good at that because I'm just, I'm too lazy, basically. Yeah, I won't expend the energy. You can go 
to the extreme and it's, it's actually easier. easier. It's because yeah. it's psychologically easier. Totally. Yeah. It takes way less brain power. I just go like, okay, I can't, well, I can't eat that chicken. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, organic and free range or whatever, what certification free range it is. It's just like, oh, no, I can't eat chicken. Mm. So it, do, it just it's like reduces. A, it's like, it's exactly. It's, it's, it's the same, does the same thing in your brain as routine in the morning. Totally. It's like you don't have to make decisions all the time that's and think it. through. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And, it's, and I want to use my brain for different shit than like picking specific food brands I eat, you know? Oh, I know. Like, Look, I, I just had a I meltdown with the toothpaste in the supermarket the other day. Oh, yeah. I was in a rush and I was, I was can grow, just quickly grab something and then it's like I actually physically looked at the the physicality of the space that the toothpaste takes up and it's it's oh daunting. no it's daunting yeah it's 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 like probably three square meters and it's just silly like we just don't need that much but it's without the routine what we need is the brand that we go to and we need that routine to, to and that's our way of getting rid of all of this these choices and decisions we're constantly having to make here's an idea for an app or a service you get someone who you can hire and you fill out a questionnaire up top of like how much do you care about animals how much do you care about the environment what's your budget and they go and shop for you yeah and they like can do all of the research on what brands Look, do anyone's what listening get in touch yeah do that i need that yeah, go and do do the idea, and then um, get in touch because we go need and that do service. The idea. Do all, yeah. Go go and make the business. go and make that app. But wouldn't it be cool? You just fill in like a twenty question uh, questionnaire one time at the start, and then have a weekly budget, and someone can charge like five percent of your shopping budget as for the service or something. Yeah, free idea. idea. Yeah. Oh, gee, that free was a gem. Right that there. was a gem. Tim, do you know what? Um, Ruminant means no. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> Tell me. Well, because I just learnt what ruminant meant, what and I, it mean? just it's just so relevant to this conversation. And I thought, was that just me that doesn't know what ruminant means? So it's the name for all of these animals that we've been talking about, all the sort of pastoral ones. It's oh. their little group. Just like you might Ruminant. have marsupials. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> it's like third word of the episode. It's a cruncher. But, um, yeah, it's it's the ones that eat grass. Huh. So, and, and, they, so and, and they're pigs? particularly, yeah, and, yeah, I think, oh, no, I don't know if pigs are included. Pigs but like goats, different. cows, sheep. Right. Um, what else is in that category? I think you've named uh, the Llamas, oh, etc. It's weird that you knew that. <laughs> of course, llamas. Yeah. So it's like r- ruminant animals is like the ones with multiple stomachs that allow them to be able to eat grass. Ah. And it's the ruminant animal farming that's particularly problematic. Right. Do you know that um, their ability to break down grass is just like one enzyme that they have, which you can actually GM into people? Oh, for goodness sakes, Tim. (laughs) Maybe that's a solution, though. Imagine if we could all just eat grass and turn that into energy. Because we don't have the enzyme, so we can't break it down into energy. I um, think there's a few other issues there. Like what? Well, because... uh, So I did this cool workshop quite recently, actually, on edible weeds. I can... in Tim's backyard and I'm actually looking out the window and I can actually see I mowed the lawn yesterday I did a good job oh it's a lovely lawn thank you um, it's I could, full of weeds so. <laughs> it's, it's all at the same see, level though I'm, look, I can see you've got little plant there's one out there I can see called self heal that I just learned about you've got plantain you've got daisy all of those things are actual, actually edible so I'm telling you that now okay. are you going to go out and start eating your lawn 
Probably not. No, I think and see so I think even if you did inject yourself with the new enzyme to be able to digest the grass, I think there's a few other issues that we have. This is just a psychological barrier though. Well it is. This, it, this is. Whole, a, it is. It's a psychological it's a, this whole it's, thing's about breaking that down. Yeah. It's the whole and it's commodification of, of stuff. Yeah. That we, we've we get so many marketing messages that it's better to buy something than uh, eat your lawn. Very, very true. <laughs> That's very true. And and actually there's a so this is a bridge I haven't had to cross yet, but I think I already know how I treat it. But insects is really interesting. Oh, I really want to do a show on insects. We we should we should get an expert in yeah. on on eating insects because I'm really fascinated. Oh, by that. on eating them. Yeah, 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 yeah. On eating them because apparently um, insects are incredibly efficient protein yes, machines. I've heard that before too. So they have been floated as a potential real godsend for the current problem we have around the amount of energy and damage we do through our current agricultural farming is that if we started farming insects and eating them um we could get a ton of protein off them for like you know not a lot of outlay and Mm. they just multiply like crazy they're really easy to farm and i so that's a living thing right it's an insect but i i don't put that in my brain at all on the same level as I would like a, a pig or a cow or anything. So mm. I, I, I have no issue with eating insects because mm. I don't think they have. They I think it's the opposite for a lot of people. I know, but that, yeah. <laughs> because don't give me a steak. Don't give me that bug on a stick. They've got an issue Like for Asia, right? Eh? You, you've been to, totally. like, Thailand, been to Thailand and China yep. where it's like bug, bugs on sticks. Yeah, I've eaten stuff in Thailand. Oh, I think I had a scorpion and maybe a spider and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, they, I mean, it's just more meat it's just a different kind of meat when it's the big ones but um yeah that will be a podcast for another day but that's another potential solution and it's like i don't who, know who do you think's won the debate well i don't know if there was a debate. Oh, i don't think there. we had one i don't think we had one either. i'm a bit disappointed well what do you well, how <laughs> no, do you I think feel we actually, after this we we oh, the after same. this chat <laughs> i I think we're actually on the same page with so much and we've come down to you and I having different approaches right now totally. to how we're working through. And one thing I wanted to say that I I didn't, and it's something that makes me feel really uncomfortable, is the we've been assuming this uh, the association with, you know, it's kind of this, you know, this ethical choice to be eating organic or avoiding meat and all that sort of stuff. And in the back of my mind, I've got, my family and other people I know that are, are actually farmers that aren't farming organically. They're just, yeah. you know, good old Kiwi um, regular farmers. Yeah. And I hate the thought that they could be listening or anyone who's a farmer could be listening to this. Think, and, and they're sitting there uncomfortably. And these are really good people. You know, they're actually, you know, caring for their land and doing... We should get a farmer in because we might be talking out of goddamn holes in our heads. Yeah, I know. Let's bring the farmer to Central City. Because I know, and and, and also, that's a really good point, actually, Waveney. If you are a farmer, or you know a farmer, or you're related to a farmer, Kiwi farmers are like a hell of a lot better than um, what what they're doing in the States and stuff. So, I don't know, there's there's, there's probably a lot of assumptions I have that are potentially wrong and um, i think there's also this just with the farming community as in anywhere like our listeners generally there's this there's this huge 
desire, I think. There's an acknowledgement now that um, things could be done better. And there's this huge desire to try and work out how to do things better. Yeah, Totally. But I think, on the other hand, like I don't want to cede too much ground because I think there has been a total normalization of just fucking over animals completely emotionally for ages so that we can have cheap milk. You know, hmm. like we're, we're taking away a, a cow's babies from it, which stresses it out to no end so that we can have tons of cheap. Oh, milk. I can see the conversation so, now. So it's great- like I, I, I'm, I'm, I totally want to give credit where it's due to um, particularly our farmers in New Zealand who are investing so much R&D into trying to come up with the most sustainable practices and, and look after animals to an extent. But at the base level, this is still a set of farming practices that are just like not great for animals, mm. I think. Mm. Happy to be proven wrong. Um, that'll probably do it for us. Yeah, I reckon. The takeaway thing to reiterate, because we'd like to put that at the end of the episode, is if if you want to help save the world, um, hey, if you're in a position to and you really want to, go vegetarian. Give it a go. Give it a go for like two weeks. See how you feel. Um, if not, do like a meat-free day once a week. And maybe do like a little challenge for yourself like I did. Set a timer on it. And then and then just assess where you're at. Mm. So maybe do like a month of meat free Fridays. You say, I'm gonna do that. And do then you just have see to be you Catholic to do that as well? <laughs> no, it <Yeah>. helps. <laughs> <laughs> good, good to know. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Waveney? Well, option B would be to, from my perspective, would be to also try eating less meat and buying organic, uh, buying at your local farmer's market. There you go. A whole raft of tips for you good people on how to save the world. Uh, We will catch you in the next episode. Thank you very much for listening. See ya. If we have any chance of saving the world, we all need businesses to make changes. And fast. Contact Go Well Consulting to make sure your business is part of the better future. Go to gowellconsulting.co.nz to find an expert that will help your business navigate the journey.